So you're in town right now. You live in New York City. Yes. Here you are. What are you doing here? I'm here visiting my family. I haven't seen my family in four months, and we just wanted to come down and hang out. I also made it a little bit of a business trip, too, and went to Atlanta and did some meetings with some ad agencies and a network. So, yeah, we're just here hanging out. Things go well? Things went really well. Yeah, it was great. I met with an ad agency called BBDO, and I met with Turner Broadcasting, I guess is how you say it, Turner Systems, which is good. And, yeah, I, I guess it went awesome. You've been doing a lot of shooting for The Hollywood Reporter. It seems like that's where we see most of your work right now. If you tweet it or if you share it on Facebook or on your website, how far right now do you feel like you're spreading yourself? Where else can we find your work? Are you shooting primarily for The Hollywood Reporter? I do shoot a lot for them. It helps because they're a weekly magazine, so they're doing so many shoots a month, whereas most magazines are monthlies. So I tend to get a lot of my shoots from them, and it's more often you know, that I'll be shooting for them. But I shoot for other magazines too, like ESPN or Essence or New York Magazine or Inc. or Fast Company. I recently just shot my first story for Entertainment Weekly, which was pretty cool. It hasn't came out yet, though. When is that coming out? That comes out, they actually just selected the photographs yesterday. Who'd you shoot? I'm not allowed to say. Not yet. allowed to say? No. Oh, man. Okay, we'll just have to wait for the news. I think though. it will come out, what's what's it, what, June now? Yeah. I, think, I guess it'll come out in July. Okay. So, but Entertainment but, Weekly, that they might be a... They're, they're yeah, weekly. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, so are you excited about that subject, though? Uh, yes. I will say there's a movie being made of made about this person right now okay it's actually about to come out okay we'll look for it then yeah you grew up in tuscaloosa Mm -hmm. you're born here yeah i was born in dch dch hospital me too all right dch kids where'd you go to elementary school i went to the school called tuscaloosa academy Uh i'm familiar with ta yeah (laughs) (laughs) and then you went to ta Uh for most of your young life and then you switched over to going to central right yeah i started going to central west campus when i was in ninth grade and i went there for a year and then it like split up to three schools you know the northridge bryant central and i went to northridge and then graduated from northridge in 2005 well people will make these assumptions about ta mm-hmm. as opposed to city schools or public schools right it's yeah. a, it's one of the one of the few private schools in town uh-huh. so you've gone there all your life and suddenly now you're going to central high school yeah it was awesome what kind of jolt was that for you to go from uh, private like to public the best jolt ever really yeah so it was kind of a, a jolt i mean i was used to like 16 kids in my class that i'd known since first grade uh-huh. and as you can imagine, that gets kind of boring and you're ready for a change of scenery. I'm always ready for a change of scenery. And I think I talked to my parents and I was like, I've, we've got to do something else. Like, I've got to be around some more just people, more different people. And I remember like how awesome it was just like going to school and like there's all kinds of kids. And like, I think I have like a thousand people in my grade going from only like 16 people. So, it was definitely more entertaining at school. They also had hot wings in the cafeteria, which was pretty awesome. Well, yeah, I should know. For transparency's sake, I went to Central, too. Uh-huh. And I actually remember you. I was in a video production class. Uh-huh. And I guess you were my sister's age, my sister Suzanne. So that meant you were two years younger than me. So when I was in uh, my senior year, you were still at Central. And you were in the video production class that I was in. I was kind of doing this sort of like work study. But I remember you were interested. I mean, obviously you were taking video production. Some people did it for an elective just to like Uh get a class out of the way. But some people like me and I know like you took it because you were actually interested in video production, interested in having a camera in your hand and doing something unique with it. Correct. So... Once you took a class like that, or really before you took that class, did you have an interest in cameras? Yeah, I had an interest in cameras. This is a funny story. This is how it all kind of started, my interest in cameras, is that my stepdad bought my brother and I some skateboards one summer, and we really got into skateboarding and all the culture that comes with it. 
And we started going down to the skate shop in Birmingham where I spent like half my childhood because my mom was in Birmingham and my dad lives here. And we would buy like the skateboarding videos that they would make. And they always shot them with like the fisheye lens and like they were on a skateboard going and it was kind of like a dolly and like the guy was skating and they always put them to music and like, you know, they might like blow up a firework in the middle of the street and then skate through it. And we started making our own. I asked my stepdad, I was like, I need a camera like in the fisheye lens so we can like start making our own skateboarding videos. And that's how I got my first camera, video camera. And so through... 12 or 13 however old I was all the way through high school you know we were making videos and it the skateboarding phase ended you know after a few years was this like a high 8 or VHSC or mini DV um, high 8 and then it went to mini DV uh-huh yeah yeah well I mean what did you think when you got that thing in your hand were you thinking like okay I'm okay. the ne- I'm the next well, so and so here well like, I had that camera and it was the high 8 and I realized after a while that I needed an upgrade And the camera I wanted was this expensive camera, and I think I was 15 at the time, and there was just no way I was going to get it. My my mom told me that, you know, my stepdad was not going to buy this camera for me. And I actually ended up finding it in her closet before Christmas night, and I knew I was getting this awesome camera. And this was the camera that could shoot in like 24 frames a second, and it was like going to look like film, and it was just going to be awesome. And so that was pretty cool because that changed everything for me. And that kind of got me thinking more on like a cinematic level a little bit. And then from there, you know, I started watching tons of like movies and like finding out like who my favorite cinematographers were. And then I got into lighting and all that kind of stuff. And that's kind of, I guess, part of being in the video production class. I wanted to further my knowledge you wanted to apply it too yeah, right you wanted it. to get the, they had mini dv in that it class was a little different though i mean it, was it wasn't not, i doubt it was the quality of the camera that you had gotten at that point well it wasn't like narrative stuff no really but you had some equipment to work with at least i mean that was mainly doing like news oriented projects. i was a director one year you had long gone uh-huh and mark rains made me the director one year so you were part of bcn tv oh yeah yeah were you in the, like the inaugural class for that? I believe so, maybe. Yeah. yeah so you were directing. I, think I the, was. I mean, yeah. This is yeah. like a news broadcast that the three city high schools put on, and yeah, it would it air on uh, on cable in Tuscaloosa. Now this was, you know, a little frustrating for me. I think it was just my excuse to like play with a camera. Yeah. During class, but I wasn't like inspired or creating like awesome work. You couldn't do your skateboard videos in no. class. But I think we would get a little creative sometimes. Yeah. You know, it was definitely an excuse to get in my car and drive over to TCT, the other campus, uh, the technology campus. Let's go back just a little bit. You grew up in Tuscaloosa. Tell me a little bit about the Mobley household. The Mobley household. Yeah. Well. What kind of uh, childhood are we talking about here? Is it a conservative family that you live in? Uh, yes, definitely. How so? Um, my, well, first of all, my parents got divorced when I was like, one or two so i'm you not really sure don't remember that don't even remember i grew up just my mom lived in this place and my dad lived there so that was normal yeah it's totally normal i don't know what it's like to have two parents uh-huh. together and i i it's it's not like a thing that's like messed me up as a kid it's just like how it is right how i was born like right. i don't know any different so my mom lived in birmingham and my dad lived in tuscaloosa i lived with my dad and he owns a clothing store he sells like suits and nice button downs and leather shoes to people and this is mobley and sons it's called mobley and sons and how long has that been around as long as i've been alive and probably a little longer i think my dad might have started it when he was in his early 20s around my age and it was formerly called the varsity shop and it was actually on university boulevard where the uh, university club is it was right across the street from that and it's formed into Mobley and Sons later down the road. So he sells clothes. Then I uh, had a stepmother, and her name is Sarah. And I grew up there. I mean, childhood, I was, my parent, my dad was actually very supportive of how weird of a kid I was. What made, what made you weird? And what age are you talking about um, here? I'm talking about like, nine or ten to when i left 
I mean, like, he, he was very, like, supportive of... I was just a weird kid. Like, I was, like, you know, into dressing up or, like, doing a play or, like, directing something or putting on, like, a concert. And he would actually, like, build me stages. So he would, like, build, like, a 15-foot-long wooden stage and have curtains and, like... He, you know, he, he, he had, a, he had a, we had a, another floor in the house that was like basically my creative space as a kid. So like I would be writing on the walls. I would have like stuff tacked into the walls, you know, stuff hanging out the window. He set up like a rack of lights for me so I could like light things on the stage. And, and this is when you're like nine years old. Yeah, and maybe like and 10 to 11, 12. Yeah. And I would get the whole neighborhood involved. So like. Like, let's say we're putting on a play. It would be, like, me and, like, five of the neighborhood kids. And, uh, <laughs> like, I would be the director, and we would do this play, and, like, all the parents from the neighborhood would come to my homemade theater, and they would bring, like, popcorn and, like, whatever. And Wow. Yeah. I mean, that is supportive. Yeah. That he I would mean, he would, it's pretty crazy because he's a conservative fellow. Like? I mean, he's a buttoned up guy yeah but so i mean um, but we, that didn't hold him back from right so you were interested in the arts as a child yeah he definitely you know he and my stepmom they definitely made me like do normal kid things like play baseball and you know play basketball i remember i cried one time when they made me play basketball uh <laughs> But uh, why? Why? What made you crazy? It's just not what you wanted to I do. I just did not want to play. But then you wanted to put like, on plays. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Two hours later, I remember like throwing this huge fit, and I came downstairs and apologized and just did it. Put that glove on. And then this is the crazy part. I actually wanted to play in the NBA. Uh huh. Okay. I I became really obsessed with basketball for yeah. like three years. And my wife, Jana, can actually recount this because she <laughs> she used to come over because I got obsessed with wanting to dunk. Uh-huh. And for about two years straight, every day I would go outside and I would just practice dunking. And in ninth grade, I actually dunked on a 10-foot goal. No way. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Can you still dunk? Uh, no. no not even close? I don't think I can touch net anymore. Then how could you dunk then? Um, You're in your 20s? You're in your young 20s? I'm 26. 20s i'm out of shape right now yeah i'm actually just started working out a little bit do you still play how long that'll last no see i was terrible at basketball all i wanted to do was dunk but and you did it yeah i did it i was determined i was determined to in public uh yeah okay yeah i dunked at ta once (laughs) (laughs) yeah um, I got you. I played on those goals. We might be talking about nine and uh, however many <laughs> inches, but okay. We'll give you ten. Yeah. Well, what I would do is I I would raise the goal to 11 feet. Oh, okay. At my house. And I would. that's what I would practice dunking on or trying to get to that. Uh-huh. And I could never dunk that. But, you know, and I think I even had the shoes that uh, have just the part on the foot. So, it, like, <laughs> it, like, works out your calves right, or whatever. Right, right. <laughs> So you did it. Yeah. You you made it. You dunked. So that's a departure from uh, directing plays. Yeah, that is a little (laughs) bit. But so again, you're in, you're into the arts. Is that, was that an influence from your dad and stepmom or was this your mom who lived in Birmingham who sort of steered you in that direction? No. um, I will say my mom is, she is very creative and has very good taste. She has a good eye. She knows what looks good. I definitely think there's some stuff I get for her that really applies to my photography. Just like knowing when something is right, knowing when something is balanced, knowing when like the colors are what they need to be. She was an interior designer for a long time and she still like dabbles in that, but nothing serious. Her home in Birmingham is like her canvas. So like it's always changing. She's always taking away or adding something or changing the color of something. And I kind of grew up around that. And I think that inspired me. My dad is just like, you know, he's very like business. I do think he has to have some kind of like creativeness in him, you know, because he has to pick out clothes for people and know what looks good and know what is relevant in the clothing marketplace, what to order for his inventory or whatever. But I think the main thing is, is I just grew up in a really supportive, very like probably ultra 
over-the-top supportive family you yeah know, they were up for anything anything I wanted to do you know they said I could do it and would support me in that they other actually told me I could play in the NBA I think yeah once. well hey you never know put your mind to it yeah you can dunk you did it <laughs> so who knows where else you could have gone you had this this dunking thing but you had like putting on plays uh, eventually you, you worked your way towards videography was there anything other than those things did you go through any other phases that sort of led to photography before you landed on it no I mean the videography thing was something that I was set on and that was years it wasn't the dunking NBA thing which lasted uh -huh. like one year this uh -huh. thing was like a train and it was like going in the direction of becoming a career I mean I was even applying to like colleges like USC and Loyola Marymount like UCLA these places that really taught cinematography I, I wanted to be a feature film cinematographer yeah I studied it I like read everything I could about it. I was probably not shooting as much as I should, but, you know, I was making stuff. In high school you yeah, were? Yeah, in high school. What kind of stuff were you making other than the skateboarding videos? Well, I ended up, and this is where I really cut my teeth in, like, videography and stuff. There's this place out in California called J.H. Ranch, and it's basically, like, a Christian summer ranch. And my dad thought it would be a good idea for me to go out there one summer. So he sent me to one of the programs, and I realized that they had this video team, and the stuff they were doing was actually like really cool work. The videos that they would make for the campers that came out there. And so then my dad thought it would be a good idea to figure out a way to introduce me to that guy who was making the videos and, you know, start a relationship. And that led to, I think, three summers in a row, me going out to California for three months at a time each summer and making like 12 to 15 30-minute videos each summer and we were given like the ultimate equipment at the time like they gave us all these nice like canon video cameras they gave us like all apple products final cut pro on everything like adobe after effects all that kind of stuff and these guys had studied that i was working with i was the youngest person to ever get like a job out there and i i think i don't know how that happened but probably something my dad talk to someone or something and talk said, to someone he probably said his son needs to have this job out there so did he was he that. connected to them at no, all No, i don't think so he probably just like conveyed to them that like this would be really good for me uh-huh you know yeah. i don't think he like gave them money or something well right i just didn't know if he like had a connection where he talked to somebody and no, said hey. i just think he strongly felt that i needed to be like around these people yeah it wasn't even about the video it was about just being around like positive people and so I went out there, and I can't tell you how much I learned. It was like boot camp for making films, just under crazy conditions. We did like a 100-mile bike ride with video cameras. There was this huge mountain we climbed. There were water sports. There was like dramatic moments or whatever. And like I just learned a lot like about putting together a video and the production and the pre-production and making it all work. And the guy who taught me all this was Trip Crosby, and now he's a director, comedian in Atlanta. So, you know, after all that, that was all through high school. After I was done making skateboarding videos and stuff, I mean, I made videos of, like, me and my friends mud riding in Tuscaloosa. <laughs> like, just anything and everything I was filming. And you were editing this stuff? Yeah. I, mean, I would put you, it together with, like, some music and slow motion. And you like, had software for that? Yeah. So w you were able to sort of get your feet wet software-wise out at JH Ranch. Is that where you sort of had a crash course and sort of learned yeah, the ropes? I had a crash course, and I came back and actually bought a um, G5. Apple G5 was what it was called at the mm -hmm. time. I had my own system at home, and so I would just make crazy kind of like abstract home videos. Uh -huh. you know, like I'm trying to think of the movies that inspired me to do this. Like, okay, you know the movie Seven, for instance? Yeah. The opening title sequence, yeah. how it's just yeah. like crazy. So I would be inspired by something like that, and I would try to like replicate that like at home. And it was more like about the editing you know, uh -huh. and the music and it going with the music and the cuts and stuff. But so like a music video mentality. Yeah, like that was my mentality. It, w it wasn't very narrative. I've never had that like great narrative mentality about like making films. It yeah. was more like that abstract type stuff. Yeah, and so you said you were into like different cinematographers mm -hmm. when you were younger. Who were some of the names? Well, the biggest influence by far was Conrad Hall, and that was because of American Beauty. When I saw that movie, it like changed everything for me as far as cinematography uh -huh. like cinematography to me at the time was just like a beautiful picture okay so it's like a beautiful landscape 
but there was nothing like that in American Beauty. American Beauty, the cinematography was so good because of how it how it took the story to another level. And that's when photography becomes powerful, when it can enhance what's already there. And so Conrad Hall's like subtle lighting changes or subtle lighting camera movements, that all that kind of stuff, it really opened me up to like actually see the whole cinematography process in another way and actually like tell a story with the camera. I would get books and stuff like that, like The Five C's of Cinematography. That's a book I read from front and back. A first-time director was a huge book that I used to read. I would subscribe to, like, American Cinematographer. And I wasn't just reading these magazines. I was, like, highlighting, making notes. Like, okay, I don't well, know. I was just, like, super inspired to be a cinematographer. That is language that can really bog people down. Right, because people who are even interested in making movies, for instance, like say they get the book Making Movies by Sidney Lumet, which is always a really popular book that budding filmmakers or, or aspiring filmmakers want to read. But then once he and other books start talking about lenses and start talking about the very technical aspect of filmmaking, I think that in turn is what weeds a lot of people out. But it sounds to me like that is what kind of fascinated you, sort of getting into the guts of a camera and understanding how the thing works. Yeah, I mean, it was still hard because like there's so much that I just didn't have a clue about. But, you know, I also had the Internet, which was helpful, you know, and that's another story in photography, you know, that really helped me in later down the road in photography as far as, like, teaching me what to do. But, yeah, like, researching and, you know, finding, like, behind-the-scenes images. And if I didn't understand the magazine, like, Googling it or whatever, you know, that really helped. But, you know, I had an understanding for the gear because of working at places like the JH Ranch and, you know, having my own camera since I was 15. And just using it. Yeah, and yeah. using it. You know, one thing I feel like, you know, if I could go back and do it, I probably would have made more, like, narrative-type, like, pieces when I was young. But, you know, I was a 16-year-old kid, and I really wasn't thinking like that at the time. Yeah, and when it sounds like you never really were short on equipment growing up and resources, so obviously that helped, right? Yeah, that definitely helped. Like I said, I mean, my dad was supportive, right? you know, and... He he actually bought me my first G5, okay? And he said, you know, you have to pay me back from the money you make from this. And I did pay him back. Really? Um, yeah, like I started getting, I started getting like, <laughs> like I would make someone's birthday movie. Uh-huh. And it would basically be a parent that wants to like me to scan like 300 pictures yeah. and put them to music. Yeah. But they would pay me like six or $700 to do something like that. How old were you? I was like 16 or 17. Good Lord. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's a good gig for a 16-year-old. I know. It is. And that's how you paid your dad back. I shot a few video weddings. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, I had no choice. I had to pay for this thing. A lady in Tuscaloosa, um, she owned a very small, like, PR firm, and she would hire me to do small commercials, too. So, like, I'll never forget (laughs) doing these commercials for Chrysler auto place but that the spokesperson was kenny stabler uh-huh. and so i would show up on a saturday and i'm like this 18 year old kid with a video camera and i have to like kenny stabler's you know doing the old like car salesman pitch and you're directing kenny stabler yeah yeah <laughs> can we find those anywhere god please don't <laughs> oh uh another one uh new creations i remember that they had me do a commercial for them and it was like very like music video-esque <laughs> <laughs> and it actually, I think, still plays in the movie theaters. In okay, <laughs> so you you have these paying gigs, uh-huh. these weddings and these commercials and things like that. When did you decide, this is my career now, and I can't stop here? I can't be satisfied with just doing weddings, local commercials. Well, that was a, was a high school kid. Right. You know. Well, I mean, you had to make the decision at that point, well, this might be something I want to pursue as a career or something that I want to study in college right, had you so, made the decision at that point yeah i made a decision i, I you know i said I, I enjoy doing this and i want to take it to another level so i'm gonna like go to school for filmmaking which now my advice now is like to not go to school possibly and just 
take the money you're going to pay for school and go make something great. You know, I applied to all these schools in California and, of course, got rejected by every single one. You know, um, you know this kid from Alabama that makes straight Ds and Fs. I was a terrible student. Really? Terrible. Like in high school you weren't making good grades? Terrible grades. Is that because you, you think it's because you were focusing too much on what you were doing? Yeah, I, didn't, I knew what I wanted to do. I didn't care about anything else. It was probably frustrating for my parents. Yeah. So yeah. at that point, did it create any sort of conflict? Then we support you and what you want to do, but if you're making bad grades, we can't do it. No, I don't know why. I don't know. No. So they just kept. Yeah. Kept at it. Yeah. And you you, you graduated. Did graduate high school. Yeah. You made it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so at that point, you ended up going to Alabama. Well, that's because I got rejected by right. all the other schools. Right. And basically. I didn't care where I went to school at that point after I got rejected, and I think I barely like got into Alabama. Well, is, was that's that, how bad my grades were. That had to have been pretty disheartening, though, for somebody who had such high hopes in terms of like where you wanted to go study yeah. film and you want to go to these these good schools where they offer what you're looking for. Did, yeah, did, did that kind of rejection? How did that affect you? Um, I don't really remember it that well, but. I think I took it all right because I made the best of like what I had. And now that I look back on things, it was probably for the best just because, you know, Tuscaloosa was a unique place and uh, it served as a very good place for me, like building foundations on photography and which is what I ultimately got into. You know, I remember like choosing a major at Alabama and they didn't have any like feature film cinematography courses at the time I was there. It was all video-based. It was video, and it was like news anchoring and stuff like mm-hmm. that, and I was just not interested in that. That's not, that wasn't cinematography to me. I wanted to like tell a story and like move someone, move someone in an emotional way with like the camera. So at this point, you've met your future wife, right? Are you with her? I met my future wife when I was 15, I think. And when did 14. you all start dating? Uh, we started dating when I was 14. It was very like on and off situation of dating. You know, I was in high school. She was in college. She's like three years older. Yeah, than she me. was a couple of grades ahead of you. Yeah. So there's a learning curve there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Was that intimidating? Uh, no. No. No? No. Good for you. Not at all. You know, and then when I was in college, she had a real job. So like we were always in different places, which was kind of hard geographically and just in life, you know, like yeah. college is a hundred percent different than, you know, a 16 year old high school kid. Yeah. So of course I was an immature, like idiot a lot of the times. <laughs> yes, I did. I did know my wife when I was a freshman at the university. Yeah. And I'm sure that probably inspired you in some regard, to pursue what you wanted to do. I know that it she's a supportive has. person. Yeah, she's very supportive, obviously. She, like, always has believed in me, which is pretty awesome. You know, she always, like, she, uh, she, her, her, like, level of respect and greatness for me, like, hasn't changed since I was, like, the weird 15-year-old kid making videos to uh-huh. what it is now. She always, like, knew it was going to be something one day. And I'm sure she got some slack for that from people you know she's 17 dating a 15 year old who is directing plays and making videos (laughs) well so i mean obviously that didn't that didn't throw her off you know that that was probably something about you that she found really interesting maybe she liked it because like she grew up in such like a sports family Uh you know her brothers and her, like, they were involved in sports their whole life. And, like, I was just, like, a breath of fresh air, maybe a little bit of break from that. I need some weird kid directing <laughs> plays in my life right now, man. That's what I need. I, enough of this sports jock stuff. I need I need this. Well, I, you know, he did try to dunk for a year. and Yeah. yeah so I guess you provided that. She, she was there when I dunked. Was she really? Yeah. Supporting you then, too? Yeah. Man, you had it made. been through a lot. Yeah. So, and she works with you. Yeah. And so did that sort of creative collaboration early in y'all's relationship? It did. Or at the college Um, level anyway? Well, no, because when I was in college, you know, I can't support. Well, first of all, we're not married. But, you know, like she has she majored in accounting, I believe. And she's working as an accountant at a random place in Tuscaloosa while I'm in college. So. You know, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do, but I think anyone can relate to this. Like when you have someone in your life that you love so much, like it almost allows you to like focus better for some reason. 
I don't know. You're, there's not any distractions. You know, you're focusing on like all the important things in life. And that's how I've always felt with her. Like through college, you know, she was with me, she was supporting me and I was focused on like becoming like the best for me and for her and like being able to provide and like, you know, showing people like what I could do. At some point when you were in college, you must have developed your style and what you were interested in uh, started to find its way into your work and how you shot. And this is when photography became a serious thing. You know, I've talked to you about this before and you left Alabama because you were frustrated, right? Yeah. I mean, frustrated and... I was the kid in art history class with a wedding ring on and mainly frustration though just with just with wanting to go to another level and going to math 110 and I'm like what am I doing right now like why am I not like applying these efforts to further my photography career why am I worrying about math class I mean I'm 21 years old like it's time to get a grip and so I went to my dad now because I go to my dad for everything advice wise and I uh, told him, you know, like this, this was, this was deep into college. This was my junior summer, maybe. And I said, you know, like, I really think this photography could become something like, and I hate wasting my time at school right now. I'm not even learning photography. I mean, I'm not learning what I need to learn. Alabama has a good photography class and a good teacher, but it doesn't like teach you how to actually like survive and like make a living from photography and it really doesn't teach you that much technically either unless you want to print black and white film in the dark room so he said do it he was like get out of school and start doing this and what was it at that point what did you have to do what was uh, well, the next i already move? had like a business going somewhat. I was supporting. You were doing myself. private, but yeah, okay. Yeah, no, I mean there was a small ad agency here in Tuscaloosa that would give me jobs, mm-hmm. and those wouldn't be these birthday parties and weddings anymore. No, you're like, you've moved I, on. I think like I was shooting like all the advertising for DCH at uh-huh. one point. Okay, okay, and then like I was shooting another hospital in Montgomery or something, and what's that shoe place around town there's some like place that sells shoes tommy he owns it sky god i forget the name but i used to like do their commercials so i was like doing commercial stuff for companies this is photography not videography this is video and oh it is okay yeah i was doing commercial making commercials you're never gonna see them no um no (laughs) (laughs) did i ever see them could could be yeah so they went public though yeah yeah they play on tv around tuscaloosa Uh uh-huh So you start developing this style, and you're ready to sort of leave college behind. You feel like you've learned what you can learn there, and you want to learn on the job, and you want to start doing what you want to do as a career. So you you have these jobs in Tuscaloosa, but you make this decision to leave town, right? Well, I I stopped going to college, but keep in mind, like, in college, I didn't use that as a time of not doing anything like I was reaching out to editors and people at ad agencies while I was in college and it was kind of probably pretty naive of me but in the same sense it like was a jump start on these relationships that I ended up making so you know when I stopped going to school which was like the best day of my life I was so happy to not have to go to class anymore or not feel like I have to go to class anymore so it was like school's out for the summer early yeah for the rest of your life it was incredible (laughs) Like, I actually have thoughts sometimes of me having to go to math class, and they're, like, terrible thoughts. Like, I just didn't... It was, like, a depressed feeling, a depressing feeling. So, dropping out... You know, and I hate to put it this way. I dropped out. Dropping out was a good thing for you. It was a positive thing for you. I don't support dropping out. Well, it's for some people, and it's not. like, that's what it comes down to, is, like, organized education is like not for everyone right and you mentioned before and you can speak on it again now but you mentioned that what you would suggest to people who are doing what you do or doing something that doesn't necessarily need a certain kind of degree and is something that you can achieve and learn in the field Mm -hmm. you would suggest simply pursuing that instead of studying it uh, in a more academic environment honestly to be honest like no one taught me photography i taught myself Mm -hmm. or i got on the i guess getting on the internet and researching and looking at behind the scenes videos is teaching myself as well but a lot of it was just like failing and figuring out why it was a failure and learning from there as far as photography goes a lot of people are going to look at your work 
and say that's not self-taught. That that it's too good to be self-taught, but it is. And you familiarized yourself with not only, like you said, the gears of your cameras and you got accustomed to lighting and you learned how to light and you learned the software and how to edit photos and how to just apply that to your work. Obviously, a lot of hard work goes into it uh, once you finally found the time to focus on it. But it seems like a lot of people aren't really ready or willing to take that step and put that kind of work in. They just want it to happen for themselves. If they really want to be a photographer, if they want to make a career out of it without necessarily shooting weddings and being like a zap photographer, if they want to like pursue it, I mean, what would you say to them? Like, how did you avoid doing that? I mean, obviously you left town and you found it somewhere else. Well, I went to Birmingham just because there's more of a market for photography in Birmingham. There's, there's ad agencies and there's a few magazines and Tuscaloosa is very like limited. It has a very like low glass ceiling, like as far as photography goes in my eyes. Now, someone else might argue with me that shoots for the newspaper or that does portraits of kids or whatever like you know they might have their niche and it's their market here but you know I knew what I wanted to shoot I had studied books I had seen photographers that I liked and I I I was drawn to what they were shooting and I was like oh wow this guy Richard Avedon he like shoots like iconic portraits of famous people like that sounds like an awesome career in photography that's what I'm drawn to that's what I want to do so I decided to move to Birmingham because I thought the market was bigger and would support me and uh, my photography and that at that point Jana my wife ended up becoming a part of the photography business I was doing enough business to where I could support her and she could contribute to the business and so we moved to Birmingham and the store goes on from there so you, these jobs are paying you now and you feel comfortable enough to live yeah. on the jobs yeah independently yeah but okay. let me circle back real quick like to a little bit of your question In photography, I remember when I first picked up a camera and I was shooting in a still camera, I was shooting like a picture of a flower or I was shooting like a alleyway with a garbage can and it was like dramatic and I was like, this is so cool. Or like just a cigarette thrown out in the street. I'm an artist, man. And I was like, I'm an artist. Yeah, exactly. And it wasn't until like I actually saw in the realm of photography what I was drawn to, which was portraits, where I was like, that is what I want to do. And that's when I started focusing on just that. And you have to focus on, uh, you have to put your mind to something, focus on something to obtain it. And I had a very, very narrow focus on like making great portraits of people. Still do. And that's from looking at books from Avedon. Yeah. I mean, Avedon was definitely the biggest inspiration. It's one of the photography teachers at Alabama gave me his book. Chip Cooper was the photography teacher, and he actually showed me the book of Richard Avedon, and that changed everything for me. Then I go home to my uh, mom and stepdad's house in Birmingham, and I realize my stepdad has a library full of Richard Avedon books. Didn't even know it this whole time. (laughs) So... He has even more than that. There was Helmut Newton. There was like Irving Penn, Annie Leibovitz, like all these, like a like probably twenty five books. That was pretty cool. Cause yeah. I was like I have like all this inspiration in front of me, and that was pretty neat. Well, you, I remember seeing your stuff online. You know, back when I guess I must have been in college, and maybe you were, and were like just about to leave college, and just seeing your website. And I grew up reading Vanity Fair in my house. Like, it's just one of the magazines my parents had. Mm -hmm. And they always had this Hollywood issue where they just had the most beautiful photos. And I would always see the name over and over, Annie Leibovitz, Annie Leibovitz. I didn't know who she was. I just found out at that point that she took these photos of, like, A-list celebrities for these just ridiculous spreads in Vanity Fair. Mm -hmm. And there was just a certain quality to me about her stuff that was so much different than any other photography I'd seen in any other magazine. It almost looked cinematic. Mm-hmm. It looked like what I saw in the movies. I started to see that in your work. I started to see, well, this is similar to what I love about her photography. Yeah. And I just remember thinking, how is somebody here? How is somebody in Tuscaloosa or Birmingham or wherever you were at that point, how are you doing what they're doing? How have you developed that skill when nobody else seems to have been able to do it? around here. And again, I want to get to lighting here because it seems like you have a firmer grasp on lighting and portraits 
than a lot of people that I've seen, at least locally. When did lighting become important to you? I think it became important like when I saw American Beauty. I mean, that's when I like actually saw light. And I'm not saying like you see light. I actually saw it. Like I saw it in a way where it was like it changed me. And that don't know how to convey that feeling to you. But basically, I started to understand it from then. And it's been a huge part of my photography. Like, I'll be completely honest. Like, that is one of the things that, like, keeps me in photography is lighting. I love lighting. And I love experimenting with it. And I love trying new things out. And I love the way it could make, change a whole landscape of a photograph and make someone feel. So is this something you take from the book? Something you learn from the books? Is this another self-taught aspect of your photography? Because a lot of people would see, like, a key light or something. And they wouldn't know what to do with it. They wouldn't know where to put it or how that affected the image definitely i mean definitely from the books i looked at like even looking at annie leavitt's book when i was a kid definitely the lighting influenced me it was what you said cinematic and it's almost like she can light a scene or they these photographers could light a scene but not only could they light it they know how to control it and that's the most important thing for me is like how do you control the light like how do you get to that even some i guess andy Lubitz is known for like a painterly feel and so mm -hmm. like a rembrandt kind of lighting and she knows like not only how to put the light up and do it but she knows how to like just tilt it this way or just feather it that way or just add this negative fill in to like increase the contrast and i learned a lot of that through watching vanity fairs behind the scenes videos of photo shoots and stuff like that and then i just learned a lot I mean, my lighting has changed dramatically in the past three years. I don't think I knew what I was doing a year and a half ago or two years ago. I don't. I, I mean, it it keeps evolving, and I hope it always evolves the rest of my life. Well, how crucial would you say photo editing is in what you do? I mean, um, how how familiar should people get with? The, are you talking about editing down images, or like actually like? Retouching and Photoshop and stuff. Yeah, Photoshop. I mean, like people so like need post production. To, yeah, post production. Uh, very important. It's like a, uh, it's just like cinematography. And when the film is shot and you go to the room to color the film and put it through a DI or whatever you're going to do, that's just as important to me as the lighting as what the color of the image is going to look like. You know, I have a certain look. I have a, right now I'm, I'm developing, I don't know if it's there yet, but I'm developing a feel to my images and it comes through the tone and the contrast and the darks and the lights and the color of what I apply to it. So there's definitely a look that I apply to my images. And I like that look to kind of be somewhat consistent through them. You made it to New York eventually. You went from, I guess, Birmingham to New York or Tuscaloosa to New York. When did you make that move? I went from Birmingham to New York, and I made that move. I started getting a lot of good work in Birmingham. A lot of ad agencies were giving me work, and I was saving money. And we, Jana and I were married at the time, and we decided to save a year of rent and move to New York. I like to be prepared, so I was like, we need a year of rent in case anything happens. And the backstory to that is, too, is that but before all that happened, I did this personal series of these Mormon missionaries, these portraits right. in Tuscaloosa, and they ended up getting into this big photography book in New York. And Jana and I flew up and went to the party. And there we ended up meeting my former agent, or my agent that is now my agent, uh, Marcel Saba of Redux Pictures. And he started representing me as a pho young photographer in Alabama. So he kind of like saw something, you know, I don't know what it was, but he saw something. And he would start giving me small assignments from New York that kind of filtered down to Alabama if it was go photograph this trucker that's going to be in trucking magazine or whatever you know go photograph this plate of food that wants to be featured in whatever food magazine is out there and so he he gave me that trust and that really encouraged me and motivated me because i was like wow like i have an agent in new york right now like they're giving i'm making relationships with editors in new york and then it was all nice and great for a few months and then it really hit and i was like well i'm still not doing like i'm not where i want to be and i'm not on that path to where I want to be I have to I'm gonna to have to move to New York and I always wanted to go to New York I love New York but uh, I, they, the realization came where it was like it's time to move so to further my career to photograph what Avedon photographed to to become that kind of photographer and so we saved a year 
of rent because some of these ad agencies were giving me jobs and the jobs that were coming down from New York. And I remember we packed up a U-Haul one day and just drove to New York in 17-degree weather and snowing. And I'll never forget, it was just crazy, like, pulling into that city and, like, just overwhelmed, not only by the city, but, like, how am I going to do it here? Going under the Holland Tunnel and coming out, and it's just massive. The best in the world are here, and I'm just like, how how is this going to happen? Yeah, in that moment, you felt overwhelmed. Yeah, definitely. But you're still there. I'm and there. you found work. Yeah. Or did work find you? I'm not exactly sure how that works. I mean, obviously, you have an agent that was helping you find work, but you were able to get these high-profile gigs. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it has been relationships, making relationships with these people. My agents helped me. Uh, persistence, you know. I mean, just recently, you know, ESPN Magazine gave me my first job, which might have been like a year ago. But for a year and a half, you know, I was knocking on their door trying to get a job. So you were going to people and saying, hey, look, I'm a photographer. Here's my work. I'd love to shoot for you. I hit the street right when I got there. Like within like three days, I was on the street taking my book around, like making meetings with the people that would meet with me. A lot of them didn't want to meet with me. A lot of people said at first that my work was too dark, dark in terms of like mood and dark in terms of lighting. It was just like wouldn't print well Hmm. and uh, just didn't like communicate well. So that was a struggle. So, I mean, my work changed in New York. I shot a lot of personal work my first year for four months. I didn't get one job, I think. Was that depressing for you? Oh, my gosh, yeah. (laughs) It was so depressing. And it was probably a strain on Jana as well because I would have to just, like, leave the house and, like, go walk around or something and just, like, think. What's the gig that sort of turned it all around for you if it wasn't necessarily high profile but something that just gave you work and gave you inspiration to keep on i wouldn't say there's been one gig there's been a few breaks here and there i think everyone in their career deserves good breaks and they happen to everyone i wouldn't say there's been one gig it's been a constant climb and then it might go back downhill and then you're going to climb back up the hill that's how it feels like it's never just straight up it might feel like that and it might like seem like that to people but you know i'm here to tell people that like it's not like that no one should ever think that like it's just you start at the bottom you go straight to the top it is very like up and down it's a grind thing yeah well i remember talking to you we've interviewed you before and Mm -hmm. i remember in conversation with you one of your goals at that point was you want to shoot celebrities you want to get in that game and you hadn't quite done that yet i mean you'd shot some high profile people for some magazines and maybe for some companies before, but you hadn't reached that level of shooting these famous people that you are now. So once you got your first celebrity gig, first of all, how'd you get that gig being like, I guess, relatively unknown to the celebrity that you're going to shoot? And how did you maintain it? Obviously the work does a lot of the work in that you can show it to other people and other celebrities and they feel comfortable with you shooting them. But how did that happen? How did that start and how have you maintained it? Yeah, I got I got turned down by quite a few celebrities from the beginning. I remember I was, photo, I was supposed to photograph Jessica Chastain when she was coming out with that movie with Brad Pitt and Sean Penn. Uh, Tree of Life. Tree of Life. And she was kind of up and coming at the time, I felt like. Yeah, and uh, that was her breakout year. I ended up, I was going to shoot her. It was going to be my first celebrity to shoot. And I ended up, the guy was like, uh, after he looked at my work, no. You know, like Flat he, no. he's, he's never shot anyone like we don't feel comfortable. It wasn't like some big job. You know, it was it was Jessica Chastain. I mean, now she's big, but at the time she wasn't really that huge. Well, that's interesting because you need that breakthrough. Because yeah, you, you, so the, then, the, the first person's always going to be like, well, he's never done it. before. And that's why I'm thinking like, well, how the heck am I going to get the breakthrough? Right. You know, like you've got to give someone a chance. Right. That's, Who gave you that chance? The Hollywood Reporter. With the MSNBC? But it wasn't just like they gave it to me. I worked for it. I mean, I right. I flew to L.A. It took a few months. And the photo editor, I was actually talking to her the other day. I was in L.A. doing a shoot. She didn't even, like, see it that way. You know, she thought, like, you know, it was, like, meant to be or something that we uh-huh. met. And the whole time I'm, like, I've been, like, knocking down this door (laughs) for, like, nine months trying to just, like, meet you in person to, like, see if you would trust me to give me a job. And she saw something in me and gave it to me, the job. And the first big one was Heidi Klum along with three other well-known people. Well, that's first big job. You're shooting somebody, this supermodel who's been photographed 
by probably so many of these, these major photographers. Yeah. Is that something that was on your mind? What, I mean, or was it just, okay, All now I'm shooting a celebrity. All that was on my mind was excitement, and that's it. Yeah? And how'd that go? Excitement, and the only other thing was you have to be prepared like no other. Like, you have to go into this and know exactly what you're going to do. You have limited time. So how'd that and go? you have to walk out with something awesome, or this Hollywood reporter is never going to hire you again. Right. And you're never going to get any more celebrities. So the pressure was on, and I do really well under pressure. Yeah. Yeah. How about that shoot? Did it go well? Yeah, it went great. Yeah. Well, now they hire me, so. Well, sure. They 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 hire me still. So, and the yeah. subjects were pleased. Yeah, I don't know. I don't even know if the subjects were pleased. I know Tim Gunn liked his photo because you actually will hear from him. But I mean, Heidi Klum had a driver, a security guard, a publicist, a hair person, a makeup person, and someone to like do her clothes. So like she's like protected. And so you've reached an entirely new level now. When it comes to shooting celebrities, that kind of thing. Well, now I've built it up to where there's enough recognizable people in my book that I'm taken more seriously. Well, let me go through the list. With getting assignments. Uh, This might be in chronological order. So you have Heidi Klum, Tim Gunn, Candace Bergen, Amanda Seyfried, Quentin Tarantino, Jamie Foxx, Nick Faldo, Gangnam Style, Cy, who was on the cover of Hollywood Reporter, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Christopher Walken, Allison Williams from Girls, Brian Williams' daughter, Robin Roberts, Michael Strahan, Kelly Ripa, Barrett Jones from the Alabama football team, Martha Stewart, the head of Netflix content, and these folks from the shows, obviously some actors from Arrested Development, Will Arnett and Jason Bateman, and Kevin Spacey and Robin Wright from House of Cards. It's quite a list there. I mean, yeah. you go from not ever it's having shot. All in a, it's happened all in a year. And plus the cover of Time magazine. Yeah. So you go from never having shot a celebrity to that list, which is full of A-list names. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How do you explain that? I don't know, man. Some things are unexplainable. I just, you know, people gave me breaks and... I executed when I got the breaks. Like someone I always heard was like, opportunities don't always come often, but like when they come, you have to like make sure you like tackle them and capitalize on them. And I feel like I've done that yeah. with these opportunities because they don't come often. And, you know, I'm still just the kid from Tuscaloosa that was like learning how to operate the camera. And I never thought I'd get out these opportunities like this, but when they were given to me is when I took them and ran with them can't fumble the ball can you no in that case cannot fumble the ball because if i fumble the ball then you're done i don't even get a chance to fumble the ball there's no margin for error in what i do anymore you can't mess up well and you've done well and you've photographed all of these people and you haven't necessarily gotten negative responses from them because you keep getting work yeah so is it at a point and, now and now like uh real quick when the as soon as the hollywood reporter gave me uh-huh that first big celebrity job, other magazines saw that, and then they started giving it to me. Okay, so it's so like a little are, bit of a domino effect in a way. So people are coming to you now. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, but I'm still marketing myself heavily, but there's definitely people out there that haven't shot with me that would probably like to shoot with me. Are there celebrities, though, that are familiar with your work now and have come to you and approached you about being shot by you? Is that is that a goal of yours? It's not a goal of mine. It would be kind of cool. But uh, I did shoot a celebrity recently, and she was very excited about the shoot because she knew of my, my work. And she's not a she's not like some huge A-list celebrity, but, I mean, it's someone, you know, she was she gave me, like, four hours and was just very, like... And that's rare, right? That's rare. You're usually yeah. shooting in the span of a minute. Yeah, and she was, like, recalling people that I photographed, and the photographs, she loves them, and, like... So that was kind of cool. So... Just real quick, you know, I know preparation is huge for you, and you've mm-hmm. been in binds before, and you've told me a story previously about the size shoot where you just had hit a creative block, mm-hmm. and you couldn't really figure out how to do this. And did you know you were shooting cover at that point? Yeah. And so you've got to come up with something good, obviously. Well, luckily, my wife was on the shoot. My wife right. was probably the – she has got me through a lot. I could have failed multiple, multiple times, and she always comes through to, like, rescue me, in a sense, from going down the tubes. More often than not, you have this very tight window for when yeah, you can shoot I think people. I had five minutes with Cy, but I had three hours of preparation time in the hotel conference room in D.C. that we were shooting in. 
but those three hours, obviously, you know, you couldn't come up with what you wanted I, to come I up with. I was about to start crying. <laughs> I almost got on the floor and just start crying. Like, I knew it was for a cover. I knew I had five minutes. There wasn't going to be time to experiment. The shot had to just already be ready, the shot, for a cover. And I had, like, rented this <laughs> antique $3,000, like, throne chair, uh -huh. and I was going to have him sitting in a throne. I actually pitched to the magazine if we could get a um, horse, a white horse, and put a unicorn on it, and he'd be sitting on top of the white horse. Uh -huh. And, uh, you know, they're like, well, it's in a hotel conference room, so I don't think we're going to get a unicorn. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> save I that, that one. would be cool. Yeah, save that one for another. And one. so I'm sitting there. I've got the throne chair. I've got it in D.C., all the equipment's there. We have my assistants and Jana, and we're in the conference room getting ready. I even had like a hazer, which is like a smoke machine. I right. was hazing up the conference room. I had like all this whole lighting set up. And it, I looked at it and it was just like, holy crap. Like this looks like just a rap album cover. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, this is like a cheesy rap album cover that was done on a low budget. And I was like, we can't, we can't do this. Like, and I had, I had brought probably like five, I, I had rented like all this stuff you know, to make that photograph happen. And it just wasn't working the way I thought it was going to work. And it threw me off for, you know, two hours. And I finally just had to take a breather and walk away. And I went and talked to Jan, and she was basically just like, you know, like, just forget everything. Like, just approach this fresh and new, like there's no idea or concept. And so that's one thing that can lead. And, and what, I, what I ended up doing is doing something very simple, but it worked well. He had a good wardrobe and you know, the look of him was great. But that's one thing, you know, I plan so much that it really does suck when, like, something doesn't go as to plan. One of the things I think is very important for a photographer is being able to adapt, you know, in these situations where you have limited amounts of time and things don't go your way. Do you feel like now that you're shooting celebrities, do you feel a new kind of pressure as a photographer that, like, you have to make them happy or are you still shooting for yourself or are you shooting for the job? I'm shooting for myself and for my client, first and foremost. Mm -hmm. I want to please my client. Right. But I also want to come away with something iconic, possibly, in some moments. And sometimes I just want to make a fun picture, you know? Uh, Kelly and Michael, for instance. Like, I wouldn't say that's iconic at all, but it's fun. Yeah. And it's happy, and it's a poppy cover, you know? That's fun for me to do, stuff like that. And Hollywood Reporter really liked that, and they thought it was just like different and fun so i pleased them which was fun have celebrities been responsive to you have they been cooperative in your experience so far in the past year is it difficult yeah i mean you know you come up with ideas and they get shot down but that's just part of it you know my job is the job the rest of my life is going to be able to take pictures and deal with people you know and deal with egos and deal with personalities and it's really not even a celebrity half the time. It's, you know, their people, their PR people that you're dealing with that are shooting down ideas. So, yeah, I mean, that's just part of the job. I'm expecting it to be even more difficult as time goes on. But hopefully the, the more and more I shoot, the more and more of like a great portfolio that I will build and the more and more my name will get thrown around with these people that I'm shooting, it might be recognizable when they say who the photographer is and you know, that will probably help with, like, them trusting me in a way. You know, it's all about trust. You had the time, the cover of time. That was a goal of yours, like mm -hmm. a life goal of yours as a photographer. And you did that in a very short time span. So now what's next? What's the next big goal? I would like to start shooting TV and movie posters. Yeah. I would like to actually become one of the photographers that shoots many of those. Not just shoot one. I would like to have a portfolio full of them. Are there any posters out there that you can think of off the top of your head that have sort of like inspired you to do that? Or is it a thing where it's like, well, that's a good gig that pays well. Or is it something that, you know, as a kid growing up, you liked movie posters or now you like movie I posters. I mean, I did like movie posters as a kid. It's more of a thing that I think would be fun because it involves lots of production sets and lots of lighting and experimental lighting. And, you know, I'm thinking, what do I love about photography lately? And it's photographing these well-known people and figuring out creative ways to light them. And I think a movie poster is combining all of that into one shoot. And so that's why 
I think I would. It's mainly I think I'd just be good at it. You know. Yeah, and you haven't given up on the video thing either, because I mean, you did the Deontay Wilder mm-hmm. shoot. And yeah. You enjoy that process? Yeah, I did. It's different. It's way different. It's so collaborative. Is that you something know? you'd do again? Yeah, I would do it again, but I wouldn't do them often. Well, what kind of camera do you use usually? Uh, I use a Phase One 645DF with a Phase One 40 Plus back, <laughs> digital back. <laughs> You're not using a... Uh, and then sometimes I'll use a 5D Mark II Canon camera. Yeah? Yeah. But I shoot medium format digital. What um, does that mean? Explain that. Uh, well, basically like 35 millimeter digital, which is like a Canon or a Nikon, is a very small sensor. The sensor is basically the piece of film, but you know it's not film, it's digital. So they have sensors that pick up the image and store it onto a card. And the sensor of a 5D Mark II is pretty much one-fourth the size of the sensor of a medium format digital camera. So the medium format digital camera is a pretty large sensor. And that large sensor results in a sharper, more depth, more range from your highlights to your shadows type of image. And it looks almost like a more professional image in a way. It almost resembles film in a way. And the cropping is different, but they're very like heavy, cumbersome cameras and they can cost as much as a car. So like it's, it's something that you will see like mainly professionals using. We'll look for the work in the very near future, and we'll look for the first movie poster. Thank you. Coming soon. Thanks for doing this, man. Of course. Thanks for having me.